Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Luke Kemp. Luke is a research associate for the Centre of the Study of Existential Risk at Cambridge University. That's right. He holds a PhD in international relations from the Australian National University and was previously a senior economist at Vivid Economics. Why, what are you looking at me like that for? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking, did I do a typo? Probably. <laughs> now that Under the Skin... Jenny, be, just Jenny... <laughs> Now that Under the Skin is on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review there. It helps us and we will read them out like this one. Russell, great podcasts you're doing. What a great guy you are. And well, actually, I mean, as you've probably guessed, that was... Um that's not I mean it's not a review if you'd like to listen to the rest of this podcast and all of my weekly under the skin podcasts all you have to do is subscribe to Luminary on Apple Podcasts or download the Luminary app also I have a meditation podcast called Above the Noise on Luminary 2 it's brilliant I'm using that meditation to create a condition where we can really thrive and grow together. And in this conversation right now with Luke Kemp, you are going to learn how emergency powers throughout history have been used to control people. Obviously, we don't talk particularly or specifically about the current emergency powers that are being introduced, just how historically emergency powers can lead to tyranny. Luke Kemp seems like a pretty, I'm guessing he's an anarchist. So have a little listen to this. Wait, what? Because he was good looking. Because <laughs> yeah, he was good looking. Like you were going to say that. Well, I did say it. I say it again and again. Uh, have a listen to me and this good looking man talk. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. Even from speaking to you for like 20 minutes, I sort of feel like, oh, right, you know, as I often feel when I speak to people that are truly interested in innovation and change, there are solutions available. It's just that whenever those solutions, like any solution that is at odds with the interests of the powerful will be immediately discounted, discredited. The person that suggested it will be called a paedophile. You know, like it's vroom, vroom, <laughs> annihilate, annihilate. You know, like a, it's really hard to sort of, you know, it's, the intransigence is breathtaking, huh? Absolutely. And this is also a, a typical response you have to whistleblowers as well, right? If a, a whistleblower comes out and reports on any wrongdoing, corruption or injustices that a, a large uh, powerful organization is doing, they'll immediately kind of try to target the whistleblower rather than the actual content. Um, I mean, there's a lot of rich things to discuss here, but what I want to hone in on is this idea that the system is working as it's intended. And I think that isn't just appropriate for capitalism, but it's also appropriate in many ways for the use of emergency powers and the way that they tend to operate in terms of reinforcing a hierarchy and trying to often expand the scope of governmental powers and capacities, usually in very particular directions. So one thing I discussed in the article is that when it comes to crises and our responses to them, we disproportionately favor surveillance measures. So whether it's terrorism or microbes, we often first will want to go towards anything that involves surveillance. Even when we actually don't have good evidence that mass surveillance is going to help with either one of these. You know, when it comes to the NSA's programs, when they were actually pushed in court to justify why they had, you know, basically overstepped the line towards mass surveillance of metadata, they I think came up with initially, you know, around about 50 cases as to why they felt um, this was helpful in catching a terrorist when they got pushed further. They could only cite one 
And that, I believe, was a case where basically they caught a Somali uh, taxi driver who was like transferring something infinitesimally small, like $5,000 to a terrorist group. Um, and even in that case, it's unclear as to whether the actual large mass surveillance program, the NSA, was really uh, decisive in ensuring that person was captured. So in short, we don't have good evidence that these things work. But the reason we go towards surveillance is because that's what states want to do. You know, this is very typical and beautiful book by James C. Scott, a political scientist and anthropologist at Yale. He talks about seeing like a state that states want to make both their territories and their citizens legible, which is why we've seen things like the imposition of surnames, for instance. So you can basically trace someone's lineage and ensure they're appropriately taxed. <laughs> also saw, you know, the uh, introduction of common measurements. So you could make sure that taxation was once again more efficient. In China, you had the introduction of certain maps, which would measure the fertility of different soils to ensure your taxation system was most uh, effective as possible. And of course, in the modern world, we have big data. Um, but it's all basically about making sure that you understand your citizens as acutely as possible so you can, in its essence, control them. Yeah. One of Scott's key arguments is, you know, this is not a bug, it's a feature. This is exactly how states want to see the world. And I think that's not just true for states. I do think this is true for most hierarchies. They have a particular way they want to see the world. And, you know, platforms, whether it's Google or Facebook, the way they try to view the world is almost identical to a state. And... Emergency powers are usually about extending the apparatus by which the state can see, but also the problem by which it can operate and act. Um, and I think similarly, emergency powers in general, you know, the, the purpose of them is in part conservative. They're supposed to protect the existing constitution and kind of authority structures, but, you know, they're also supposed to extend powers as well. And they do both of those things quite effectively. Um, but again, like I think the despotic, despotic drift in many ways there's ways of framing this in which it's, again, a feature, not a bug. Yes, it is supposed to protect the Constitution. One could argue that despotic drift is a kind of distortion of that. The point of this, uh, a system of governance, or perhaps actually, you know, perhaps any system, is control and management. And this term you use, despotic drift, I suppose, suggests that a system, once control has been you know, established, if control can ever really be established, the tendency is an inclination is to increase the control, to increase efficacy. Is it therefore, do you think, Luke, necessary if you are to countenance this tendency to propose and even maybe impose um, decentralization because any centralized system is ultimately going to suffer from that tendency and thus accumulate eventually more power and the only way to moderate that meaningfully is to ensure there are numerous centers that there is de like, that you can't have as we have oh, uh, currently a kind of corporate state inter interlocking systems that, that that continually support sustain and evolve one another that that essentially now the, the problem is too much centralization how whatever aesthetic inflection it bears state corporatism the kind of state capitalism of uh, china or whatever it is we have now in the kind of countries that we're broadly discussing yeah i think decentralization is key and alongside that is what I like to call leveling. So leveling of certain power structures and systems. 
So in the book, The Source of Social Power by Michael Mann, which is kind of this like classic of sociology, he talks about four sources of power, ideological, economic, military, and political. And I think what you were talking about before, Russell, this idea that even if you have deliberative democracy, there'll be automatic responses that will attempt to co-opt it. I think that's probably true. And I think the key thing there is that if you have any massive centralization in one of these particular forms of power, it'll eventually spill over into the others. So even if we do kind of level power by having sortition and deliberative democracy, and we kind of level political power, if you still have billionaires and you still have massive wealth inequalities, they'll find ways of distorting the political process, even if it's deliberative. And to me, this is the kind of the great challenge of our time in a way, is it's not just simply about trying to fix politics, it's also about trying to fix each of these sources of social power to try to level them. And that is much easier said um, rather than done. Yeah, yeah, it is. I suppose the first thing you have to do is isolate what the sources of this power is. You know, there are economic and financial sources. There are sort of uh, institutionalized power sources, both in the private sector and in government. And the relationships between them, of course, is what keeps the, the you know, the, the keeps the, the machine kind of rolling. I can see sort of how many of the ideas that we've already touched upon, uh, in addition to sort of breaking down some of these relationships would be powerful, but perhaps Let's before we try to dismantle global capitalism, let's uh, <laughs> return um, for, to, for a moment to these emergency powers and the, the and the uh, inception of our conversation. Because loads of people, by the way, like sort of said, "Where did what is this article that you're using?" You know, when like we did a video around your article, and like lots of people were very interested in the source material, which is uh, you're the source material, and by God, what a source it is! So uh, like uh, like so what I um recommend. <laughs> People that work for me are sort of laughing at my flirting. Uh, I'm <laughs> married in that, by the way, so it's deadly. I'm sure you don't yeah. to, just to let you know. Um, so, but like, um, my point is, if you're enjoying this conversation, join me over at Luminary on Apple Podcasts for the rest of our discussion and for all the latest episodes of Under the Skr, Under the Skin.